The Wicked Smart Sports Guide is brought to you by CellMaxBatteries.com, the go-to website for all your battery needs. CellMax Batteries carries a full line of super heavy-duty ultra-alkaline lithium and button cell batteries. CellMax Batteries compares in quality to well-known national brands, and the best part, CellMax Batteries are priced much lower than their competitors. Flashlights, remote controls, gaming controls, headphones, digital cameras, hearing aids, smoke alarms, whatever device you need a battery for, Somax has the best batteries at the best price for your device. You can order a 24-pack of AA or AAA heavy-duty batteries for only $5.99 or a 24-pack of ultra-alkaline, ideal for all kinds of gaming and high-tech devices at just $12.99. Order today and use coupon code BOSTON, that's all our case BOSTON at checkout, and save 20% off your entire order. That's coupon code BOSTON at checkout and save big today. Cellmaxbatteries.com, C-E-L-L-M-A-X batteries.com, the official sponsor of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys podcast. Thanks as always to Dolly Dreams for the intro music. This week, the Celtics have won their series against the Raptors, finally, after a crazy Game 6, a crazy, I mean, so many crazy games in the series, a Game 7 that, that came down to the wire as well, uh, just a wild finish to that series, and they finally have confirmed their matchup in the Eastern Conference Finals with the surprise of all surprises, the Miami Heat. We all thought it was going to be the Bucks all season, but it's Miami versus Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals. And we're going to talk about that with Celtics writer over at Guy Boston Sports, friend of the podcast, Jason Yeager. Jason, welcome back to the show. What's going on, KJ? Thanks for having me. All right, so we'll start with, we're going to do this very quick because we have another series to talk about here. But just give me your quick thoughts on Game 7 and what just transpired with the Celtics and the Raptors. That I mean, a, a, a tremendous, tremendous series. Oh, yeah, definitely. Legendary seven games that we just saw. Um, you got to be super impressed with, uh, with Boston's defense. Uh, really over the course of the whole series, but you know, especially yesterday, with just letting up 87 points. Um, obviously, Boston only shot 9 of 38 uh, from three-point range for 24%, and uh, they missed 10 free throws on the night and ended up shooting 57% from the free throw line. So not optimal shooting numbers there, but uh, you know, overall, their defense made up for it, and uh, to see them grit and grind their way to a, to a victory was really great to see yeah one of the best series i've seen in a long time i mean so many great games game three game six game seven those all three of those were absolute classics and game two was awesome as well i mean but uh those other three were really all time and and you can put that this one this series right up there as far as i'm concerned with celtics bulls 2009 and celtics wizards 2017 uh, those i mean that's the kind of level of series you're talking about and this one might be even better than both of those this was so great and that smart block that's the best singular play the Celtics have had in a playoff series that I can remember. I mean, since since at least the Big Three era, and maybe even farther back than that. The only one that comes to mind, and it's because I've been looking at it recently, is the Pierce shot over LeBron in Game 5, I think it was, in Miami, that game winner. That, that one sticks out. Um, as, as one that, that might be better than that, but or, or at least on par with it. But you can put this ahead of Tatum's dunk on LeBron, better than Avery Bradley's game winner against the Cavs. This one, uh, this will be a great memory for for fans, and for my money, it's better than both of those, hands down. Oh yeah, I mean, just in terms of iconic plays uh, that we've seen over these past 15 years or so, it's definitely up there. You know, the, the Rondo uh, chase down steal on the on the fast break against Orlando, I think it was in 2009, comes to mind. But 
you know, plays like that and Tatum's dunk obviously didn't happen at the very end of a, of a clinching closeout game like that, um, you know, determ- really determining the outcome of, of what was going to happen. So, yeah, just one of the most clutch plays uh, really over the past decade and a half for, for the Celtics. Yeah, when you factor in the moment uh, and the game outcome, the series outcome, that stuff, I don't think anything it really compares to that. Game seven, you won the series. It really won you the series. It won you the game. Like that play is just, I mean, it's going to, I assume it'll be on the walls of TD Garden eventually. That's how big that play was. But um, we'll see. I think it'll depend a lot on how the rest of these playoffs go too. But I kind of just alluded to this series against the Heat. We're going to talk about a rematch from 2012, that Eastern Conference Finals, which another great series. I mean, that one was spectacular. So many great moments. I mentioned the Pierce game winner. Um, Rondo's uh, incredible game in that series. I think he had 44 points in game two. They lost, and that, that was a crazy game. And uh, just, you know, a matchup that really was the, the last great Celtics team of that era. And it's, uh, you know, that, that's how it ended against LeBron in the Heat, unfortunately. And, of course, Ray Allen leaves the very next year to go to Miami. But um, it's a rematch of that. And, and this, these two fan bases from that series do not like each other at all. So uh, it, it should be like great to, to relive that here. And obviously the team's not similar at all to those. I think the only mainstay is, well, it would be Eric uh, Spolstra, obviously, which we're going to get to, but is Udonis Haslam still on the heat? Is he, I, I think, I mean, that's, that's the only guy that, that uh, was even, you know, obviously Dwayne Wade retired recently too. Um, but he still is on the heat, isn't he? Oh my goodness! He is, yeah, he is. Wow. So, uh, yeah. So I guess there is one player that stuck around. Udonis Haslam. So that's that's the only mainstay on the rosters. But um, but still, I mean, even st- so, I, I don't. If we get a series even close to that, it, it should be a great one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, and hopefully for Boston, they don't see another uh, LeBron Game Six uh, performance out of Jimmy Butler. Uh, but yeah, you know, obviously a different. Uh, different vibe and, and with with this team and and uh, young core now, uh, I think that this matchup, uh, just in terms of you know the talent level on both rosters, is a lot closer than in uh, than in 2012. Uh, you know, back in that series, really the the Heat's big three were kind of in the right in the middle of their prime there, and, and you know, Boston's big three was getting older and. Uh, kind of slipping away from that. Like you said, it was really the, the last great team of that era. And then Ray Allen leaves the next year. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, just in terms of the way that these two teams match up against each other, I think it's a lot closer and uh, should be interesting to see to see what Boston's uh, wing players can do against the, the, the versatile selection of defenders that the Miami can, can throw at you. We saw how it affected Milwaukee and the, uh, It'll be sure to take some of Boston's guys out of their comfort zone throughout the, the course of this upcoming series. Yeah, and Pierce gets ragged on for you know getting beat by LeBron, and, and people say, oh, Pierce thinks he's so much better than LeBron, and you know he, he got LeBron trashed from this year. Pierce was 34 years old, so you know like that's something to remember. And I know LeBron's playing great at, at you know in his mid 30s now, but LeBron's a different breed of player. LeBron's obviously better than than Paul Pierce, and he's an all time great. Most players when they get to that age are kind of past their well past their prime and the fact that the Celtics team was even able to take that series to sevens remarkable unfortunately they couldn't close it out they had a chance to but I, I don't expect Jimmy Butler to give us game six LeBron that's maybe 
uh, one of if you're just talking about signature single game players of all time, Game Six LeBron's one of the best players of all time. I don't envision Jimmy Butler being able to pull something like that off. Uh, but let's dig further into the series. Overall, the Celtics have won 13 of the last 17 matchups with the Heat, which is obviously a very different Heat team than we've seen in recent years. This is a totally new new group. Um, but when I discovered that, it, it surprised me because for some reason I had this idea in my head that the Heat. You know, they, they've been a pesky team around the NBA. I, I assumed they were the same way for the Celtics. I just, I, I, that's what my memory tells me. Um, and they've given them problems over the ha- last half decade, but the numbers suggest otherwise. The Celtics have kind of hailed this matchup in recent years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, uh, Miami was kind of, sort of in a rebuild, um, you know, with Dwayne Wade retiring and, uh, you know, they, after LeBron left and, and Chris Bosch also retiring, they, they haven't been exactly at the top of, of where they would like to be, but uh, yeah, I mean, seeing seeing the way that uh, Boston has has really dominated this matchup over the last several seasons, ever since uh, the exit of LeBron, has been uh, has is an encouraging sign uh, upcoming here, uh, especially when you look at uh, you know Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's numbers uh, over the past three or four seasons that that they've been in the league against the Heat. Um, you know they, they've had some great games against Miami. Even just looking at the the three matchups this past season and uh, this this last game in the bubble, they were able to to get some things going and and kind of get what they wanted uh, out of those defensive matchups. So hopefully they can continue that trend. Yeah, and you know Miami, uh, you're right. They've kind of been retooling. I wouldn't say rebuilding. I mean you know the last five years, which is where that 17 meetings basically stretches over. They've won 48 games, 41, 44, 39, and 44, been in the playoffs three out of five years, and they just missed it the other two years. So, yeah, they certainly haven't been at the top of the league. And, and you know, like I said, they, they um, the Celtics have handled that matchup, I guess, how you'd expect for where the Heat have been seeded. But the Heat still, I, I still kind of have that idea in my mind that they, the Heat, you know, give them trouble, and they, they haven't. I mean, in some ways... This this is a lot different, but as a team, like I said, but in other ways it isn't. I mean, it's a solid team coached by Eric Spolstra, and it's kind of built in the same way they've always been, like very you know a huge focus on wing players, and their players are obviously much better than than years past. So you know, it's not James Johnson anymore or or Dion Waiters. It's you know Jimmy Butler and, and Jay Crowder and, and all these guys. So that they're uh, much better than that group, but they still kind of play the same way, and that goes back to Spo. So what do you make of the coaching matchup in this series? Yeah, I mean, well, th- th- these two coaches uh, seem to obviously be very defensive-minded. So, um, you know, compared to, to the Toronto series that we just saw, I think that this is going to be another kind of grinded-out uh, defensive series. And, um, you know, whether or not that's in the Celtics' favor, we don't necessarily know because, like I was saying, the Heat obviously have several very quality uh, defenders on the roster. I mean, Bam Adebayo... Uh, ended up making second team all defense this season, so he's a he's a great option down low for them. Uh, you know, Iguodala and Jay Crowder and all of them. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Spolstra, uh, you know, handles switches and um, and you know utilizes all of his guys to to kind of uh, keep bodies fresh and and make sure that the Celtics offensive players are uh, are you know constantly seeing a, a new rotation of, of guys. Uh, tr- trying to trying to defend them on the perimeter. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, obviously, you know both of these teams have have some options coming off the bench. Uh, maybe Miami more so. 
Um, they've got a really deep roster, but you know the Celtics. We saw we saw the Williams duo and uh, Semi Ojale and Brad Wanamaker get some some minutes this series and uh, perform perform admirably in some spots. So so yeah, I mean I think overall, just from a coaching standpoint, it'll probably be a pretty another defensive affair, and uh, we'll, we'll probably see a lot of you know in game adjustments uh, throughout, lots of substitutions and stuff as usual in the playoffs as we saw last series yeah i mean when you compare it to last series uh, nurse is definitely better than spo as a coach i think I, I would argue that right now i think most people would agree with that at least if you're grading them on this season but this is another great matchup i mean spo has been around for a long time he's a really good coach won two championships and he's kind of gone from a guy that a lot of people wanted out in that early lebron era to being a guy who is one of the most respected coaches in the league I, ironically I feel like the sentiment and respect around him and even his demeanor to some extent reminds me a lot of Rick Carlisle, who, of course, you know, beat him in the 2011 finals. But, you know, I, I think Stevens is the better coach, but that doesn't mean he can't get out coached in this series. You know, both have a lot of chess pieces at their disposal and they can move around, like you kind of said. And Spo certainly has more, you know, which we'll get to kind of what, what he has there in a second. But uh, th- that's a huge advantage for him and a huge element in the series. And I think the coaching matchup is ultimately going to come down to, in my opinion, what the Celtics get from their bench, and which I know is something you've talked about for a long time. But the question for me is, can Brad hit the right buttons at the right time? Because you don't have go-to guys off the bench. You have a mix of guys that you're just going to hope you play the right one, they give you good minutes, like you kind of did with Grant Williams down the stretch there in Game 7. You just have to pick the right guys, and you know hopefully they, they can have a good time in the series. I mean, Brad Wanamaker had a great time uh, you know, early on in the playoffs. I think he struggled the last couple of games here, but um, that, that's what I'm talking about. You just got to hope you're picking on the right guy and hope that he, he plays well for you because you don't have somebody that is kind of a defined guy off that bench unless maybe Gordon Hayward comes back and, and you can go to him there and, and we'll see even how they decide to work him back. But, you know, picking out, you know, when to play Robert Williams, when to play Grant, you know, does semi play a factor? Javante is still, Javante Green, I'm not sure what's going on with him. He's still out and it, it, there wasn't a lot of reporting on his injury, but that's a guy that, you know, really played well off the bench this season and it was able to give you some time and, and certainly one of the best athletes on the team and with the Heat's wings, I think he could be, you know, an important piece in this series if he can get back healthy. So, um, yeah, it's just it's about, you know, who Brad decides to go to and whether or not they can play well enough to, you know, make it so that Jason Tatum doesn't have to play 44 minutes every night. And that's going to be, to me, the key to what what this all comes down to. Just as far as the coaching goes, at least, you know, Jason Tatum can always play well enough or and Kemba Walker to kind of carry them past that. But for this aspect, it's, you know, and I know you wrote about this before the playoffs, it's just it's, it's going to come down to the benches and, and the Heat have guys off their bench that are just worlds better right now than what the Celtics have. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be really interesting to see um, what they elect to do with Hayward when he comes back. Um, you know, obviously, we just saw the starting five of, of Marcus Smart uh, in the Celtics starting rotation just win a series against one of the best teams in the NBA. So I think the question, you know, might become do you do you mess with that doesn't what matters is who finishes the game you know and who who gets big minutes rather than really who starts but uh you know still i think they like marcus's uh defensive tempo in the starting lineup uh just from the get-go to to begin the game and kind of set the tone so uh you know and obviously you bring hayward back and and you know if he gets his 30 plus minutes per night that's that's less to go around for Ojale and and uh, some of their other ball handers like perhaps Wanamaker, which can be a good thing. Uh, you know, 
seeing as those those guys are, are pretty inconsistent. I'll say I'll go as far to say will be a good thing. I think that it's a will will be yeah. a good thing. Gordon Hayward is better than those guys. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You know, in terms of that, they they have another deep bench piece uh, in theory that that they're bringing back now. Um, so and then uh, yeah, you know, there's there, there's even guys like you were saying that that didn't really get a shot to play. Um, you know, we might even see some Romeo Langford minutes uh, in the series. Ennis Cantor, you never know. Obviously, he's question mark with his defensive abilities, but instant offense sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, both teams have a lot of pieces. Spolstra probably has the has the deeper bench here, but um, you know, overall talent wise, I think it about levels out, um, or maybe is even in the Celtics' favor if. If Gordon Hayward is is you know at one hundred percent and available to play, so Gordon Hayward, you know I've always been on Team Start Hayward, and I feel like I've been proven right on that generally. This is a little different, but the reason I'm always Start Hayward is it's all about ego to me and all about confidence. And with Gordon Hayward, a guy that's confidence can seemingly go up and down. I think you need to give him all the confidence you can. So usually I would say start Hayward no matter what. He's better than Smart. He's a better player and, and Smart. I'm not diminishing what he does, especially after what he just gave them. But even still, Gordon Hayward's a guy you're talking about, a 17-point-per-game score, a guy that has been an all-star in this league and can play at that level you know, fairly you know, at, at times. So I'm always team start Hayward. I don't, I, I don't fail to recognize how well they've played, especially against Toronto, without him. And I think it can be a little bit different, and I think Hayward might even view it a little bit differently because they're in the Eastern Conference Finals and because of what they just did to Toronto. So I think there is a world in which Hayward can come back and say, you know what, I understand taking this role off the bench, and I'm fine with it, and I'm going to come in, and I'm just going to be confident, and I'm going to embrace this role. I really don't think in the last in, in you know last year or certainly any time before that when he was asked to come off the bench, it was last year, when he was asked to come off the bench, I don't think he embraced that role. I don't think he liked the idea of doing that. I think there's a chance that in this series, with a chance to win a championship, with the unique circumstances, he might be okay with that. And if he is, then I'm all for it. Go for it. But if he's not, then and he's a guy that needs to be starting, then start him. And, and you know what? I, I've, I've said this multiple times on this podcast and multiple times in, in other you know areas on Twitter and everything. Starting and coming off the bench, like to, you don't need bench scoring. Just stagger the minutes of these guys. And I think I've even had this conversation with you before, which is, you know, just you don't need to have Hayward come off the bench to have him play at certain points of the game. It really only affects the beginning of the game. And if it's confidence boost for him, then great, then do it because the you can take him out after four minutes and then put him back in with the second unit. And all that changes is that first four minutes of the game. And hey. You have a better offensive player on the, on the on the floor anyway, so it doesn't make a huge difference. And if the only and if the biggest difference is it gives Hayward that boost of confidence, then do it. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Yeah, if it's a if it's a matter of confidence, uh, for sure. I mean, like I said, they they obviously like the tempo that that Smart brings to the floor at all times, whenever he's on the court. But uh, but yeah, I mean, Hayward just adds an, a completely different level. Uh, to their offense, I I saw somebody talking on on Twitter about it. I believe it was Max saying uh, how Hayward would completely uh, kind of mess up the a lot of the zone and the box and one um, stuff that Toronto was throwing at them last series. Just the way that he you know 
kind of finds uh, open open spaces and, and cuts to the basket and, and kind of slashes and has that mid-range shot and passing ability at his disposal. So he adds a completely new dimension uh, to their offense. And, you know, you're probably right that, that that might be more valuable to the Celtics than, you know, the, the defensive effort uh, than you get from Marcus. So if it comes down to, you know... It's, it's more beneficial to the team to have Hayward out there clicking with the offense and getting that going at the beginning of the game, um, you know, and just for him to, to come in later and, and kind of anchor that second unit and play make for, for those guys. And, and the big thing for the Heat is that their starting lineup has Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, and Jay Crowder on the wing. And if you don't start Hayward against that group, then the Heat can feel pretty comfortable having Jimmy Butler and Jay Crowder on Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward stick Duncan Robinson on Marcus Smart or sorry uh, they can put Butler and Crowder on Tatum and and Brown and stick Duncan Robinson on Marcus Smart and obviously you're gonna have switches but generally speaking they're fine with that they're fine having two good wing defenders and one weak one because you have two great offensive players and one weak one so Matt you know that that works out for them if you have Hayward out there then you just play whoever offense who are whoever's Duncan Robinson is guarding and it makes it a lot easier for you to attack uh, Miami's defense and I think that's the biggest thing and the biggest key to why you might want to start Hayward in that situation it all comes down to when he's coming back now uh, I my inclination to say based on his schedule and his health and everything like that is to say game five uh, and also the state of the series will will impact it if they're down 2-1 Maybe there's a chance he comes back game four. I think there's a chance, he, small chance he comes back game four anyway. But considering all the factors, including the fact that he's probably going to have to leave in the next few days, I think that's a logical return point for him. And it's a point in the series where, you know, as long as you're not down uh, 3-1, it's just that that's kind of the turning point. It gives him enough time to say, okay, you know, we've, we've done what we needed to do here. Maybe if you're up 3-1, I don't think he necessarily comes back in game five. Maybe you wait another game, give him another day out. But I think a lot of it is going to depend on how the series is going, when he has to leave, when he has to quarantine. This stuff is all TBD. But, uh, you know, Gordon Hayward, obviously, as far as people questioning whether or not he could mess up the team, I think that's looted, like lunacy. Even at, at worst case scenario for Gordon Hayward, he's better than Semi Ojale and Brad Wanamaker, which is what, what this whole conversation started with. So you absolutely bring Gordon Hayward back if he's available. And I, I think and I hope it'll be around that that time. I know people got excited when they saw him shooting around in Game 7. I don't think there's any reason to make much of that before Game 7 that he was shooting around. And some people even missed the fact that the Celtics ruled him out the day before, so he was never going to play in that game. But uh, after that, but, um, you know, even still, I mean, like I said, with Duncan Robinson in the starting lineup, Miami does have another great defender they can match Hayward with, with Iguodala. I don't think they'll put Iguodala in the starting lineup. I don't see that happening. But uh, so I I think that the way, I I just like how you match up better with Miami with Hayward out there versus Smart. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, um, you know, Miami has, seems to have more, uh, you know, individual guys who are more obvious, uh, you know, guys to go at on the defensive end. Um, you know, I, I think mainly their guards, uh, you know, Kendrick Nunn and, and Drogic and Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. I don't think any any of those four guys are, are anything special on the defensive end. So, yeah, I mean, as many offensive pieces as you can have out there to take advantage of, of uh, these matchups and these, these uh, switches that, that – you know the Celtics are going to try to force onto these these uh, their weaker defensive options in on the court for Miami. It will be beneficial for the team, and uh, as as well as you were saying, uh, Gordon Hayward 
as a shell of himself is more valuable to the Celtics than you know Semi Ojale and and Brad Wanamaker playing playing well really. So uh, you take what you can get from Hayward, uh, you know, and hopefully if and when he does come back, uh, you know he he's not still ailing from from this injury. I mean, obviously we've we've seen him deal with a lot of injury problems since he's been in Boston and um, sometimes that's taken him out of his game so yeah just hope hoping for the best and hoping he can uh, he can be the player that we've been used to watching all season yeah I would be surprised if Hayward didn't come back this is an injury this is not an injury that, that ever should have you know risked him this series at least so uh, I, I would be I would be borderline shocked if he, he didn't play in this series at all um, but yeah I mean like I said I, I do want to reiterate the fact that I mean when you look at Toronto, their best defensive wing was probably OG Ananobi. And I, th- I think My- Miami has a load of wings that they can throw at Tatum and Brown to frustrate them. I, I, Butler, like I said, Butler, Crowder, and Iguodala are all really good in that, in that aspect. So uh, those are three guys that are, that are elite defenders, really. And Iguodala, obviously, someone you know older, but is won a championship, proven, I mean, won finals MVP, although... When you really start digging into that, he really shouldn't have. But uh, you know, he he, yeah. <laughs> he he did a great job against LeBron, and you know he uh, uh, you know that's what he's he kind of has that championship medal. So uh, I don't know how much he really has left in the tank for his career, but it's just another another body. And and I, as far as how they match up, these teams are they're kind of mirror images of each other to that extent because Boston has the great wing scoring and Miami has the great wing defenders and who's going to win out? You know, it's, it's ultimately, that's gonna, what the series is going to really come down to. Uh, and a lot of people are also talking about the matchup between Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum and who's better. And I kind of dug into this on Twitter a little bit earlier today and uh, I threw these, these numbers out there. Jason Tatum versus Jimmy Butler so far in the postseason. Jason Tatum is averaging 3.5 more points per game. 4.5 more rebounds per game, barely, barely more assists per game, 0.1 more assists per game, uh, 0.6 more blocks per game, which is actually double what Butler's averaging. And he's averaging less turnovers per game too. And the only thing Butler hasn't beaten in, in the counting stats is steals. And uh, Butler's shooting better, but Tatum's effective field goal percentage is better, which obviously factors in shot difficulty and where you're shooting from, from three versus right at the basket, everything like that. So... You know, Tatum is, I think, very, very much clearly, especially based on those better than Butler. And the thing that really shocked me was the fact that Tatum is averaging more assists and less turnovers because Butler is clearly a better... Well, I say clearly, but he, he was a better playmaker in the regular season. And the fact that Tatum has improved his passing so much in the, here in the playoffs is really stunning to me. And that those kind of numbers next to each other are, are borderline shocking that Tatum is... is a better passer than Butler in the postseason so far. Definitely, yeah. We we were kind of talking about that, uh, you know, back with, you know in, in February and March when Tatum was erupting from a scoring standpoint. That's definitely been a huge topic of conversation so far in the bubble. is his playmaking and how he's evolved. And I think you know Celtics Nation as a whole, you know, always was kind of thinking, okay, well he's a great scorer, uh, obviously, and. That's that's nothing that they have to worry about, but the playmaking and being able to find his teammates is the next evolution of his offensive game, and that's how he's really gonna permanently break into that superstar, uh, you know, tier of player in the NBA. So, uh, you know, obviously, yeah, like you said, Butler has been a fantastic playmaker uh, for Miami all year. I believe he averaged over six assists per game uh, in the regular season. 
So, so yeah, I mean, uh, the fact that Tatum has, has, you know, averaged just about the same uh, playmaking numbers as Sam, if, uh, if not a little better, and uh, still doing doing his thing, scoring the ball and, and leading the team. Obviously, Tatum is uh, one of the Celtics' best defenders, uh, that, that one of their best defensive uh, net ratings on the court. Uh, has been when when Tatum is out there, uh, so so yeah. I mean, the fact that he's led his team and been the best player uh, in, on his team to this point, just the same as Butler. It's a close it's a close thing. Um, obviously, Jimmy Butler is a great player, but I think Tatum just has uh, a, a different level than really anybody else in this series uh, that we can see. And if he's at his best, he's he's pretty easily the best the best player uh out of these two teams yeah and that playmaking leap by the way it, it really came in the toronto series and they don't win the toronto series without Tatum's passing and i always thought he, he he never was a bad passer when he had his opportunities to pass he, he made good plays but it was just about getting the ball in his hands more and you know having starting to teams starting to throw double teams at him and the celtics in recent years have been so much about ball movement they've gone more towards like using Tatum as a go-to guy here. And that's kind of what I think really helped him make the leap as a passer more so than anything he's doing. It's just that the team running through him more and he's kind of getting a chance to show that. But I, I do think he, he also has made improvements. There's no doubt. I mean, last series against Toronto, the last six games, he averaged 5.8 assists per game. If he doesn't do that, they don't win that series. I mean, that that is 5.8 per game. The last six games of that series. Like that's, that's impressive. So... Um, you, you really have to give your hat, hats off to Tatum for, for the improvement he made there. But I, I honestly, between him and Butler, I don't think it's close. I think it's pretty obvious that you pick Tatum at this juncture. I'm not disrespecting Butler as a player, but I just I think Tatum is clearly better. If I did have to draft the series, I would it would probably go Tatum 1, Butler 2, Jalen 3. I would still probably go Kemba 4, although with how he's playing now, I would be tempted not to. But... Uh, I I mean, oh, it, if we're just drafting him based on the regular season, I guess I would pick Kemba four. If if we're not, if we have to pick him based on how they're playing right now, I would probably go Bam four, just because Bam he's obviously an All Star. He played great in the regular season as well, but um, Kemba's just taking that step back, and, and Bam's playing really really well in these playoffs, especially with what he just did against the Bucks. So, um, but that's your four or five in, in any order, and then after that. It, it really gets a little bit confusing because, you know, it, it comes down to whether or not Gordon Hayward's playing and he's healthy. But if, I, if I'm if i excluding him just for because of that unknown, it, it gets tough. I mean, you know, do you, I mean, Marcus Smart is, is a guy you could, is the only guy you would really pick there from the Celtics. And then I think that after Marcus Smart, wherever you put Marcus Smart in that order, I think anybody else on the Celtics, even Daniel Tice, you take Drogic over him, you take Hero over him, you take Crowder over him, you take Duncan Robinson over him, and then Iguodala, right now at this stage, Iguodala versus Tice might be a toss-up, just because Iguodala is not the same player he used to be, still playing 21 minutes a game for Miami in the playoffs, but um, he's just, he's not what he was in Golden State, but I mean, that's, that's what we're really talking about when we're talking about the heat depth, is that I think that wherever, wherever you go smart, after you get past Kemba Walker, Four of the next five guys, if not five of the next six, if you depending on where you put Walker and Bam, are Heat players. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm very high on Bam Adebayo. Uh, I think he's a really good player. And I mean, even if you just look at uh, the last matchup between uh, the Celtics and the Heat uh, on August 4th in the bubble, 
Uh, we saw Bam with 21 points and uh, 18 free throw attempts. Goran Dragic 20 points on uh, 50% shooting from the field. Uh, Tyler Hero got some got some good buckets and uh, you, you know even looking outside of that matchup, they've had a great playoff run. Hero uh, has hit some really big shots for them. Uh, so yeah, I mean you're right. The Celtics are are top heavy. We we've known this for a while now. Uh, and so those those next group of players that, that are going to be difference makers come off of uh, of Miami's bench, unfortunately, for, for the Celtics. But, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, they got a lot of depth. And uh, Boston is definitely going to be tested this series. Yeah, and what it really comes down to is you cannot let Jimmy Butler and Jay Crowder shoot 50% and 40% from three, which is what they're doing right now. Now, Butler, you know, I don't think he's going to continue shooting 50% from three, but that's what he's shooting in the postseason so far, 50%. And Jay Crowder, you know, you, you just can't allow those guys to shoot like that. That's You're not going to win if they do. So it's going to come down to that perimeter defense and how well you can do. Now, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, they're going to shoot. They're good shooters. I mean, they're, they're going to hit their shots. That's you know, But you can't allow Miami to have these other guys go on off. It's just it's you're not going to win the series that way. Um, and, and Tyler Hero is a guy that has just played spectacularly and, you know, I, I, not as good as maybe Miami fans will tell you, but he has been really good. You know, Miami fans are talking him up. Like, I, I saw some report that the Heat think he can be better than Devin Booker, which is a little lofty, honestly. I, a little too much for me. He can be really good. He can be maybe a borderline all-star, like an all-star kind of guy in this league, I think. But already saying he can be better than Devin Booker, especially what his team did in the bubble in their brief stay here, and what he was able to carry them to... I think that's a, it was a little too much for me to hear that. But but Hero is great. I wish the Celtics had got him. There is this extra kind of element in the series to the fact that the Celtics were reportedly targeting Tyler Hero in the draft. The Heat were one pick ahead of them, and they took him right ahead of them, uh, their their selection. So Riley just you know swooping in and taking Hero away if, if the Celtics were targeting him, which is unfortunate. He could have been a Celtic. He could have easily been a Celtic. Um, but that that's going to be another kind of uh, storyline going into this series for me is is Tyler Hero and what, what could have been if he if he landed with Boston and potentially at Gordon Hayward's eventual replacement. If Gordon were to leave, then he, he could have uh, stepped into the starting lineup there. But um, now the Celtics have Romeo Langford, who hasn't shown much this season, but who knows what, what the future holds for him. Hopefully fans can cross their fingers and hope that he eventually turns into something. But Hero's really proven to be a guy that, that could be, you know, really, really good. Saying he's going to be better than Devin Booker, it's a little too early for that, though. Yeah, definitely overzealous. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you have to love what you've seen from Hero uh, in the bubble and in these playoffs, too. I think his growth as being able to have the ball in his hands uh, and be a you know reliable ball handler for, for the Heat has been a good development for them. And, obviously, he has a lot of confidence, which, you know, as we know, is a really important factor in the sport of, of basketball, just like we were talking about with Hayward. So, uh you know, the Heat have, have trusted him, and he's shown that he can hit big shots. Like you said, the Booker comparisons uh, are a little much, but, uh, you know, I, I could see him getting somewhat close to that level. I mean, you know, and obviously Booker has had a had a really great bubble uh, performance, but, uh, you know, he, he still was a first-time All-Star this year, and I believe, wasn't he a, a replacement for somebody who got injured? You didn't even make it at first, the all-star team. So it's, you know, it's not like Devin Booker is a very good player, but, uh, you know, I don't think it's completely impossible that Hero gets to that level. Uh, but, yeah, it's, 
you know, as as of right now, that that might be a little much. And uh, you know, for Boston, he would have he would have definitely helped their their bench now. Um, but I don't. I I think he's you know young and inexperienced enough, and in Boston, uh, as of right now, has has the defenders to to kind of handle him and and you know make sure that he's not a huge problem. I don't I don't see Tyler Hero really being the X factor in the series. Yeah, I mean the reason I say I I don't think so is because Devin Booker averaged 26 points per game this season on 49% shooting from the field. That is ridiculous, especially as the the guy that every team is focusing on on that team. So so I I, I don't necessarily I, I think Booker look he's he's been unfortunately he's playing in the West. It's hard a lot harder to make the All Star team in the West. I understand what you're saying, but uh, it, that is a lot more difficult. And you know it's just his teams haven't been good enough, and I think he's been really really good. So um, I, I just think it's it's a little too much. I mean. As good as Tyler Hero has been, he's still only averaging 14 points per game in the playoffs, so he's not uh, blowing the doors off of any teams. But at the same time, I, I, I still think he could be a real factor in the series. I mean, we saw what he did against Milwaukee, and in that game four, he was just drilling shots at the end of that game and, and almost won the, won the heat, the, the, you know, the sweep there. Um, so, I mean, he's, he, I think that you know, it's, just, it's, it's going to come down to the fact that you can't allow... Butler, you just can't allow Butler and Crowder to shoot like Hero and Robinson, but you also need to limit those guys as much as you can because those two are really, really incredible shooters, and that's that's gonna it's gonna play a factor in this series. Real quick before we get out of here, we're gonna wrap things up, but I want to ask this last question to you: If you could pick right now, who would you rather be playing in the conference finals, Milwaukee or Miami? Um, Miami. I I think Boston actually got uh, the matchup. That they that they would have preferred going in. I mean, we saw we saw Miami kind of figure out Milwaukee. Um, you know, just in terms of they kind of built the wall and, and made sure Giannis just couldn't run over them all day. And they looked really good defensively against Milwaukee. Uh, but going into the playoffs, I really didn't like how Boston matched up with Giannis uh, and just with that Bucks roster as a whole. Uh, I mean, we saw. The Celtics were competitive with Milwaukee over the course of the regular season, but they did they did drop uh, a game there, and um, yeah, you know, I just I don't think that that matchup uh, for them was ideal going up against the MVP, and so um, you know, I think that Miami obviously is a great team, athletic, and, and has a lot of shooters, but Boston is the same way. They have a lot of defensive versatility, and and when they're shooting the ball well, they're they're a, a great shooting team. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Boston can kind of beat Miami uh, at their own game. So, I agree. I think this was the enemy of Miami is my friend situation here. I think that, that this is another case where the transitive property doesn't necessarily work in the NBA. I think the Heat matched up better with the Bucks than the Celtics do, and I think the Celtics match up better with the Heat than the Bucks do. I think... You know, with their shoot, with the Celtics have their playmakers are, are more on the perimeter, which Miami certainly has great perimeter defenders. But Bam was just—I mean, he is the best Giannis defender in the league. I think that's that, no doubt. Just he's he's built to defend that guy, and uh, it, it was it was really helpful. And you know, at the end of the day, Miami just my Milwaukee's offense and defense just weren't weren't built to handle a team uh, in Milwaukee where, you know, or Miami where Milwaukee is a team that doesn't want to switch and Miami's a team that you should switch against and the Celtics do love to switch. So that's, 
that's another factor in the series. And Milwaukee's game was a lot of drive and kick, and against Miami, that doesn't work. And the Celtics, you know, they're a much different offense. So these are just teams that, that are much different from each other. I still think it's going to be a tough series. Either team could win it because as as good as uh, Milwaukee ma- or as good as Miami matches up with Milwaukee, both M teams, they're giving me trouble. Uh, as good as Miami matches up with Boston. They matched up better with Milwaukee, so I, I do think that this series is, you know, they my um the problem for Milwaukee was that they didn't have a player like Kemba Walker. He's going to play such a, a big factor in the series. They just, they didn't have many playmakers, and Chris Middleton, as good as he is, he he off the dribble he can't really make a, 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 that much space for him, especially against those Miami defenders. He he's you know more of that guy that that uh, he doesn't have a lot of athleticism. He's an incredible shooter, but just doesn't have the the off the dribble moves to kind of get around the difference with the Celtics is they have so many different guys that can create off the dribble um and Milwaukee didn't have that they were relying on Eric Bledsoe a lot and he he wasn't good so you need Kemba to be better in this series if you're going to win um and you certainly can't have him play like he did last series but uh on paper you have the ability to kind of do things against Miami that that Milwaukee just couldn't so uh I just I, I think it's a situation where yes Milwaukee uh, Miami beat Milwaukee, in, and they they proved to be the better team, I guess, in that series. But you just you ha- match up better with with them because you didn't have anyone really that could stand a chance against Giannis, and and Miami did. Oh yeah, we we can't forget that now they don't have to face known Celtics killer Chris Middleton. Yeah, <laughs> that's never a fun thing. Yeah, that that is another key for Chris Middleton. Uh, obviously, the fact that you don't have to deal with him shooting sixty percent from three in the series, which he he constantly did against them, is huge. But yep. but you know we'll see. It should be a fun series. I I don't want to make any predictions right now because I want to see the first few games first. I did predict that that Toronto series would go seven. I think I might have picked the Raptors just because Gordon Hayward was out, and I didn't expect Tatum to to pass like he did. Uh, but and and also Toronto didn't play as well as I thought they would. Their their shooting kind of fell off. There, but uh, in this series, I feel pretty confident. I feel like the Heat, you know, they. I just, I don't. I think that at the end of the day, it comes down to high end talent. I think it does. I think that's that's true in the NBA. And the Heat don't have the same high end talent that the Celtics do. And I think Gordon Hayward's going to be a huge factor. I think Kemba Walker's going to be a huge factor. Um, how they play, whether or not Hayward comes back at all. Um, those are those are two keys to this series. I think maybe if I had to pick out the two biggest keys, it's how well does Kemba play and. When does Hayward come back, and how well does he play? Those are the two things that, because Tatum, I think you can rely on him to play well, even though he's going up against tough defense in, in Miami. And I think Jalen's, you know, he's been up and down, but I think you can generally rely on him to be pretty good. And and even if he is up and down, I think that, you know, the the, the series still comes down to those other two guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, another just side thing. I think keeping Miami off the line. Uh, off the free throw line is, is pretty important. I mean, Jimmy Butler has been living at the free throw line all season. Like I was saying, in the last matchup against Miami uh, in August, Bam Adebayo shot 18 free throws. Uh, Drogic shot seven. So, you know, definitely uh, the Celtics need to focus on defending without you know fouling, uh, playing smart like that, and, and you know not not giving away games at the free throw line like that against against the team with very good shooters who can can make those free throws and can put you away potentially if you uh if you aren't smart so i think that's potentially another big factor which is tough when you have daniel tice on the floor who people love to call fouls against but um but yeah you're right and miami right now is second among playoff teams in in free throw attempts per game first was the sixers which uh you know they obviously lived in the paint but again you have to focus on the fact that that team was going up against the celtics and yes the celtics swept them but 
Uh, at the same time, you have to be concerned with what you were saying as far as the Sixers right now are, are first in the, in the playoffs in free throw attempts per game. And you're going up against Miami team now that is second and, and the Sixers only played against you. They did all that against all that work against you. And uh, are you going to have the same kind of problems against Miami? And I think you're right. It would be huge if they could keep Miami off the line. That's a tall task. That's going to be tough for them to do. Uh, but if, if they limiting it as much as possible will be huge in the series. I think you might have to weather the storm anyway and just survive that aspect of it. I think it's going to be very difficult for them to, to defend without not with, uh, without fouling. But if they can do so, they they should they should beat Miami, 100%. Um, but Jason, thank you for coming on for this preview. And guys, thanks for listening as always. Um, but Jason, we really appreciate you coming on and looking ahead to this Miami series for us. The, the Eastern Conference Finals, Celtics are back in the Eastern Conference Finals. And for the first time... In a long time, it feels like they have a real shot to win it. So thanks for coming on and doing this preview. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, KJ. All right, guys. And, and remember, you can follow me on Twitter by KJ Doyle. Uh, that's my new at, actually. Brand, brand new at. First time on the podcast at by KJ Doyle. Just decided to switch it up. You know, I thought it'd be fun. Um, and follow Jason on Twitter, too, at Yegzero. Uh, follow Guy Boston Sports. Check out everything ahead for NFL preview, Celtics Heat preview, all this stuff. Good stuff's coming up. Uh, Bruins season recap, unfortunately, and all that kind of stuff. So, so be on the lookout for that stuff. And, and just check out everything over there. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week.